Hello, welcome to Hope Church Harrogate's message of the week. If you'd like to connect with us, please head over to hopeharrogate.co.uk forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you. Um, We're going to read from the Bible, Isaiah chapter 9, if you want to get your Bible out. This is the official start of Christmas. Isaiah chapter 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. Did I, did I hear a hallelujah? In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. It will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Ever heard that before? It's probably the most famous of Christmas passages. One translation note. Um, if you are uh, older than 20-something, you probably used to read the New International Version, translated in 1984, and you will be used to the language of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end. Hands up. I pray all the time. I'm like, Jesus, you have said of the increase of your government and peace, there will be no end. And then they released a fresh translation, the NIV, and they changed it to greatness. It's because the Hebrew word means both. And they thought it was increase, and now they're like, well, maybe it's greatness. You're allowed to pray increase. Just put it out there. I still will. I contemplated changing it, and then I thought, oh, I confuse people, and then I thought, I better better tell you why it's changed, because that's a common verse that we would use and reference in our world. Is that helpful? Great. Hey, who's got an advent calendar? Just two. Anybody anybody bought an advent calendar for someone younger than them? Yeah, a few more. Anyone got an advent candle? It is just around the corner. Advent is about to start. And I think we've pretty much mentioned Christmas every week this term, one way or another, but we are now definitely focusing in on Christmas season. 
Advent officially starts next Sunday, but who cares about that? We're talking about it today. And uh, Advent is historically a time of waiting and preparation. And uh, between now and Christmas, our carols on the 17th, we're going to do a few weeks looking at this Advent season, what it is to live and wait and to prepare. And candles and calendars are about that, aren't they? You open a window every day, getting excited as you get closer. You're waiting for the big one when you open the window and the bigger chocolate is there on the 25th. You burn the candle down to get to the end and then it's Christmas and you can light every candle in the house. We're getting ready. Historically, of course, Advent was the opposite. Advent was a season of fasting. So I'm looking for 10 volunteers to join in with the historic, traditional practice of fasting through Advent. This is how it worked. They would fast through Advent. They wouldn't have any rich food, only plain stuff, minimal eating every day to prepare themselves, to examine themselves, to cleanse themselves from worldly influence so that they would be ready for the coming of Jesus on Christmas Day. And Christmas morning would arrive and they would be ready for Jesus and ready for a feast. They prepared their stomach. They were hungry. Hungry for God, hungry to eat. And we, of course, do the opposite. We eat an ever-increasing amount of food, starting with an extra chocolate every morning before breakfast, and then steadily eat more and more richer and richer food, mince pies, Christmas parties, all the way up to Christmas Day when the biggest feast of all arrives. We, we kind of do it differently to the historic Christians. We prepare by stretching our stomachs so that when Christmas rolls around, we can get even more than usual in there. And if you are American, you've already started the stomach stretching on Thursday with a first round of turkey. Advent is about preparing, preparing. I, for a season of my life, was a waiter. I did like a silver service, quite posh functions. You'll have heard me tell one or two stories from it if you've been here a while. And one Christmas season, I did four or five nights a week doing Christmas parties from the beginning of December. And um, earned a lot of money, saw a lot of debauchery, and ate around 20 Christmas dinners before Christmas Day. Because every shift you worked, you were given a plate of what they'd been given, which was mass-produced Christmas lunch. Let me tell you, by the time Christmas Day arrived, the last thing I wanted was turkey or another roast potato or anything looking like it, but I forced myself. And it was 20 times better than any of the turkey dinners I'd had, but the preparation hadn't really helped me. And so I want to spend a little bit of time this morning looking at preparation that helps us our 10 volunteers, I haven't noticed any hands yet or anybody running to the front to sign up, but the 10 fasting volunteers can prepare that way. Uh, and I want to know what the rest of us do. So we're going to look at the topic of preparation this morning. What is it to wait through the season of Advent? Because Advent is the time where we are waiting for what God has said will be to come into being. We are waiting for what God said, said will be 
to come into being. Paul picks up this idea in Romans chapter 4, verse 17. He talks about God in these words, but on a slide, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. It's what God is. It's who God is. He's the one who gives life to the dead and he calls into being things that were not. It's a little bit like the kids joke about toasters. Are you familiar with this one? You get people to say lots of words that end in oast. So like boast, coast, thinking through, most, post, roast. And then you say, what do you put in a toaster? And because they're in the, they go, toast. Thanks. We're so ready, expecting, we just follow through. And actually, we do talk about toast in complete anticipation because we know that that's what's going to come out of it. In the same way, God calls things into being that we're not. When you say, hey, put me a slice of toast on, it's not toast yet. But you have utter conviction it will be toast by the time it pops. Utter conviction. Christmas is a time for living and waiting for God to come. We know it's going to come. We're so confident it's going to come that we've already named it Christmas. But we're waiting for God to come. And uh, it's a little bit like one more picture for you and then we'll, we'll go into the passage. Narnia. Can't talk about Christmas without talking about Narnia. Where the creatures of Narnia are waiting they're living and waiting day by day for the power of the white witch to wane because it is always winter and never Christmas. But they've heard that sons and daughters of Adam are going to come and her power will break and winter will turn into Christmas and Narnia will be restored. They're living and waiting for the sons and daughters of Adam to arrive. Friends, this is what Advent is. We are waiting, living and waiting for God. How are you at waiting? When you turn to the person next to you, score yourself out of 10 for your ability to wait. And then if you know them well, you can say, don't lie. Subtract at least four from your number. What we're going to see over the next three weeks is that for followers of God, it has always been about waiting. Today, we've read a passage from the Old Testament, and they were waiting. And these verses that we've read from Isaiah chapter 9, they were not a pleasant poem written for a Christmas carol service. They're words of promise from God to a people who are facing catastrophic circumstances. Let me give you a little bit of geography. Can you put verse 1 back up, Tim, please? I hope you will notice how I did the just classic, read the names really fast, and then I want to know if you said them right or not. Zebulun and Naphtali. A little, little bit of geography for you. I've got a map for this, Tim, as well. They are the northernmost territories. Can you see that? The yellow one at the top center and the green one just below it, Zebulun and Naphtali. 
the northern territories. At the time Isaiah is speaking, they have just been annexed by Assyria because Assyria is to the northeast of Israel. And so they came in down there and the first place they took was Zebulun and Naphtali. When he says, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress in the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. He's going, yeah, those guys just got conquered. They currently have oppressive masters who rule them, having to give all of their wealth off in taxes and tributes to a foreign god. Things are bad for them. But in the future, he will honor Galilee. Guess where Galilee is? Oh no, we need the map still up. I didn't get another map. It's the same place. Galilee maps over the top of those two tribes and a little bit further. The body of water you can see in the center of those colored patches at the top, that's the Sea of Galilee. The very area that is in gloom, the very area that has been humbled, is the area that will be honored. It is, of course, the area where a certain itinerant preacher traveled around doing signs, wonders, and teaching, gathering crowds of thousands healing the sick, casting out demons, raising the dead. Isaiah is prophesying to people where the situation is bad. Really bad. But he has a word of hope. You've been humbled, but you're going to be honored. We need to notice here that the reason they've been humbled is that they ignored God and did exactly what he told them not to do. This isn't like misfortune has struck them. This is they wandered off and were naughty. And God said, if you do that, enemy forces will come. And then enemy forces came and things got bad. They were beaten. They were in darkness. They were oppressed and burdened. They were trapped and powerless. They had zero hope. And along comes Isaiah Hey, you've been humbled, but in the future, he's going to honor you. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. They're like, no, we haven't. (laughs) We have not seen a great light, Isaiah. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Nope, not here. Things are bad for the people he's speaking to. Resonate for you at all? For some people in the room today, you'll be like, mm, I know what that feels like. Feels dark, I do not see a glimmer of hope. But Isaiah continues. And as he continues, God promises an awful lot. Did you notice? In these classic verses, he promises that darkness will turn into light. He promises that night will turn into dawn. He promises that distress will turn into joy. He promises that defeat will turn into the plunder of victory. He promises that oppression will turn into liberty. And he promises that the clothes of soldiers are going to be burned because there will be peace and there will be no more need for soldiers' boots or clothes. Wow. Your soldiers just got beaten. And you're being told that God says, one day you're not going to need soldiers. There's going to be peace. 
You're bearing a yoke of oppression. You're being squashed down by an enemy occupying force who are trying to subjugate you to their ways. And he says, I'm going to break the bounds of oppression and liberate you. Wow. Do it, Lord. If you resonate with a sense of being in darkness this morning, then maybe just maybe these words begin to give you a taste and a glimmer of dawn. Even if your life is rosy right now and things are going smooth, you read that and you go, oh, maybe there is more to life. Things are really bad and God comes and promises a lot. But hey, get this, the people have to wait a really, really long time. Most of the people who heard Isaiah say these words never saw anything close to fulfillment. When we're dealing with Old Testament prophecy, we normally find that there are two pictures squashed together in the fulfillment. There's a a more immediate one and a longer picture. The longer picture, generally, the work of God in the Messiah, Jesus, and his kingdom coming, which in itself, as we'll find, I'm sure, in weeks to come, is spread over a period of time. Because we read this and go, sounds good, Jesus. We'd like to burn the soldiers' boots and clothes. I do. But for these people, there was a sooner realization of this picture. They didn't have to wait 700 years for Jesus because none of them lived that long. But there was another person coming in 70 years that would see the restoration of Israel. And some of them survived. And do you know what happens when they return from exile to the place where David's throne is? They see it beginning to be rebuilt and the people who saw what was there before weep because it's so pale in imitation to what was there before. Even those who waited and began to see the fulfillment of this didn't come close to seeing the fulfillment that you and I get to see. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. These are the verses we read at Christmas carols and we uh, reflect on, we think about, and we love it. It's about Jesus. They're not the verses I'm going to talk about today. I'm going to highlight a different verse. One to help us with this idea of waiting. We're going to verse 4. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. The days of Midian's defeat points us to a story, one that you will be familiar with if you grew up in church. You may be if you didn't. It's the story of Gideon. That is the day of Midian's defeat, the story of Gideon. And I really wish that God had ordained it that the words didn't quite sound the same because I'm going to stumble over them every time I say it. But Gideon was the one who led the Israelites in victory over the Midianites. And it's the perfect story to illustrate our point this morning. The Midians had invaded Israel, and what they did basically was they waited six months, let the Israelites do loads of work and get some crops, rear some young animals, and then they came down like locusts, so Judges 6 said, and they took all of the harvest back to their country and all of the livestock the Israelites had reared. And the Israelites used to run and hide in the hills. And when we first meet Gideon, we find that he's hiding. He's threshing wheat in a wine press which, in case you're wondering because you've never threshed wheat or pressed wine, is not the function for the thing he's using. He's doing it to hide what he's got from people he's scared of. And an angel of the Lord appears. You know this story? And he says to him, 
The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon looks round. No, 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 I'm hiding. <laughs> I'm using a wine press to thresh my wheat. <laughs> You've got the wrong one. And what you discover is that this is the perfect story to prove that God calls things that are not into being. Here's the good news for you and I. The angel appears, says to Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior, and he does not overnight become a mighty warrior. Instead, it takes him quite a long journey of listening to God and acting to learn that he can trust God and become the mighty warrior that sees Midian defeated and God's people freed. He starts by testing God. Hot tip, bad idea. And then he starts to stand up slightly, gathers an army, God whittles it down. Gideon's terrified for most of the story until such a time as God wonderfully and miraculously defeats the Midianite army and rescues his people. He calls Gideon way before he is a mighty warrior, mighty warrior. But he comes to be the mighty warrior. And so Isaiah prophesies and he says, remember... Gideon and the Midianites, when they were conquered and oppressed and squashed and trapped and there was no hope, just like your situation right now, do you remember what God did? He wonderfully and miraculously delivered the people by calling something that is not as though it were. God is going to rescue you by calling something that is not as though it were. If I could return to the toaster for a moment. Remember what happened last time you put bread in the toaster? You waited. And then? Toast. Do you like that? A little bit of uh, charades. Christmas is here. Every time you put bread in a toaster, it's come out as toast. Isaiah is prophesying, and God is speaking to the people. Do you remember when you've been in this situation before? What happened? Oh, he miraculously delivered us in a wonderful way. I can believe that God will come. Remember previously when God called something that was not as though it were, what happened? It came into being. He called Abraham father of many nations when he had no children, and it came into being. He called Gideon mighty warrior when he was far from it, and it came into being. He calls light and dawn into the situation of the people he's prophesying to, and although it was not there when he said it, it came into being. They waited and they saw the victory of God. My friends, we are not good, generally, at waiting. We eat as much as possible for 25 days before a big feast. The idea of volunteering to do a 24-day fast to prepare yourself for Christmas Day is so ridiculous that you all laughed at me. We're not very good at waiting. 
We want it now, preferably yesterday. And we live in a world that makes it possible. But if you're going to follow God, if you're going to follow the God who calls things that are not as though they were, then waiting is going to be part of your life. A lot. And so the question that I want to land with is, how did they wait? Because these people that he's prophesying to, their descendants waited and waited and waited and waited through the centuries, eagerly anticipating the light that would dawn, the child that would be given, the son that was born. How did they do it? I want to suggest to you two things. The first thing they did was that they gathered together every Sabbath to remember that God had promised that he would do it. I don't know what you think we do here at church, but we follow in that pattern. We gather to remember that God has promised and does it. It becomes very difficult to believe that God will do it when you separate yourself from the community that believe that God is going to do it and remind one another that God is going to do it for too long. We, of course, don't just have words on a page, but the very presence of God in the room. But we still have to remind ourselves that what we're waiting for is guaranteed in the promise of God. But the second thing they did is this. They went to the scriptures and they searched them and searched them and searched them for promises and signs to remind themselves of who God is and what he would do. Going to the scriptures is hard. It's one of the things when I talk with people that people tend to find hardest in the Christian life is having a good rhythm and routine of reading the Bible. It's very easy to feel guilty and ashamed very quickly when you try. I'm not asking for hands up. I just assume you would all put your hands up. So we thought we'd do something to help during Advent this year to help us wait in the pattern of the people of God over centuries. We thought we could do it together, if you'd like. So if you're doing the Bible in a year, but you're still in April, It's okay to stop for a moment and do something with your friends. If you're doing Bible a year and you are bang on date because that is what you're like, then God bless you. What we're suggesting is something very short. You can add it in, but you don't have to join in. That's fine. But we've prepared a, a very short reading each day through the Christmas story to remind us of what God has promised, what God has called into being and it, what will be. Uh, Rachel and I are going to do a very short, aren't we, Rachel? Very short. One minute video to accompany to set the scene for each reading so that as we read through we can understand what's going on in the story we think we found a way where we can do it together in whatsapp without exposing your phone number to people you don't know which is nice Um, and we've got a qr code we'll put it in the newsletter this week if you scan that it will give you the opportunity to request to join the community that's going to read four or five verses each day of the Christmas story with a minute, 60 seconds of Adam or Rachel's voice setting the scene for you as we wait and prepare ourselves to celebrate Christmas, the fulfillment of what God has promised. So if you don't know how QR codes work, you get the camera on your phone and you point it at the screen. You might need to zoom in and uh, then it pops up and you click the link and it will take you through to WhatsApp. If you don't use WhatsApp, I'm sure we could send you the plan, some other means, and give you access to the videos. That's fine. But if you don't use WhatsApp like this because you're scared of your number being in public display, we're pretty confident that this doesn't expose phone numbers. I think, I think I've hedged my GDPR bets well there. I'm just looking at the people in charge of governance in the church. Yes, yes, good. Thank you. Very good.
The people of God have waited throughout history for him to act. And he's acted again and again in different ways, and he has acted decisively in Jesus. We don't come at Christmas trying to remember Gideon, who became the mighty warrior to rescue a nation by doing what God told him to do. We're gathering at Christmas to remember one far greater than Gideon. One who came in ordinariness, yet did exactly what he saw the Father doing at every step. And rather than rising up as a mighty warrior, he laid down his life, surrendering to a death on the cross that was brutal. But in the process, he overthrew humanity's greatest enemies, not the Midianites, not the Assyrians, but sin, sickness, Satan and death. The great enemies of humanity were overthrown through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus because God doesn't just call things that were not as though they were. He gives life to the dead. And we see that clearly in Jesus. When we're waiting, we're remembering that God breathes life and is breathing life and one day will breathe a life far beyond the life that you and I know, a life that will endure forever. Our hope is not in a military king. Our hope is not in a mighty warrior being raised up. Our hope is in the one who laid down his power. Who laid down his life. That we could know life in death. Many believers wait their entire lives to see God break through. People live in captivity. They live in hostile conditions. Their entire lives And they're kept going by waiting on scriptures like this that tell them that God will come through. And they believe he could come through in this life, and he can. But even if they have to wait their whole life without seeing a change in their material circumstance, they are guaranteed that when they die, they will not die. But they will live because the God who calls things that are not as though they were is also the God who gives life to the dead. Friends, the celebration of Christmas is not God doing everything for me that I ever wanted in this life. The celebration of Christmas is the guarantee that death is not the end because it was defeated. That sin cannot hold me down because Jesus has broken its power. That the devil cannot torment me my whole life because Jesus has crushed his skull, though the devil struck Jesus' heel. The enemies of humanity are defeated in Christ and we can know life in all its fullness. So as we light candles each day through Advent, as we eat chocolate for breakfast each day in Advent, as we read together the story and the promises of the scriptures about the Messiah who is to come, friends, what we're remembering is that God is faithful to do what he's promised. That he has called things that are not as though they were and they come into being. He's done it before. He'll do it again. And one day, we will see it in completeness. Amen? Should we pray together? Band, do you want to come back up? We're going to finish with a song in a moment. Should we stand to our feet to pray, if you're able? Father, we are so thankful that you are a God who speaks. 
So thankful that you speak by the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit with us in our lives. Thank you that even now you're speaking by that voice into hearts, bringing strength and hope. We're so thankful that you've spoken throughout human history by your prophets in your word, that we can read these words and know that if God has said it, he is faithful to fulfill it. We thank you, Lord, that we've got a warrior far greater than Gideon. One who shattered the yoke that burdened us. The bar across our shoulders. The rod of our oppressor. That sin and the devil and sickness and death. They may try and lay hold of us, but the power of Jesus is far greater. And I pray now as we lift our eyes to Jesus again, as we remember who our God is and what he's promised, I pray that the power of sin would be broken again in our lives. I pray the power of sickness would be shattered again in this moment. One day there will be no more sickness. And Lord, we pray for that day to come now. We pray that where people feel tormented by evil, it would be quiet and stilled and cast out in this moment by the victory of Jesus. And even if it is not, one day it will be, as Satan himself will be thrown into the lake of fire. We pray for those who live in fear of death, that comfort and peace would come, because we know that in Christ, death is not the end. Father, we thank you for your promises. We thank you for your victory. We come to worship you together in light of them now. Amen. Amen.